All right. Well, it's so ironic that uh, when Howard asked me to speak a few weeks ago, or actually, I think he told me about a month ago, he got this date on my calendar, and I actually put this as my the the, the topic I was going to do, and that was before all pandemonium broke out. And so I was like, well, you know, as the weeks went by this last week, I said to myself, well, should I do the same message or should I change it? And then I said to myself, well, why? It's no better time to talk about the death, resurrection, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah, right? So I'm just going to, I just said, I'm not changing anything. Um, so let's, uh, before I start, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we just uh, thank you for this time. And God, I just uh, thank you for the service. I thank you for uh, already, God, you know, we just sense that just the word spoken today through Jeff and Marcy and the worship team has all been a time to build our confidence in you. I, I can sense that you're you know, get building the confidence in you that we can trust you and that you're in control, and I just pray that that would continue on as we go through this. And I pray especially, God, the goal of this is that people would see that you're a God of history, that you're involved in history, that you're involved in the affairs of mankind. And I pray the confidence would go even higher as we looked into this today. And I pray, obviously, that you'd speak to people and that they'd receive from you what you have for them, because that's all that matters. And we pray this in Messiah's name, amen. All right. Well, yeah, yes, I did think, I thought that uh, it'd be no better time to uh, go over a little bit of how God is involved in history, and then towards the end, we will, of course, get to some applications today uh, to talk about what's going on in our chaotic world, but I thought that uh, maybe we could, you know, go over some of the issues here about the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah, because the bottom line issue is right now is, uh, you know, when it comes to a time like this is whether people uh, really, you know, whether, obviously if we really believe this as ourselves as believers, this is the bottom line issue, what we believe about God and Yeshua. And of course, we have the opportunity to speak into people's lives right now. I mean, no doubt there are people out there that just simply have nothing to cling to. And as we know, they're just gravitating towards fear every day. So, as Jeff said, you know, we want to use common sense, we're not, you know, not being silly, like, oh, we don't know what's going on and not taking precautions, but for the same token, I hope that we can walk away and hopefully be encouraged and also be motivated to, uh, you know, talk about this issue with others around us, you know, just as they just have nothing to grasp onto, Um, and hopefully it'll build our faith as well. All right, so we want to talk a little bit about history today. Well, there's no doubt that Yeshua's uh, death and resurrection happened uh, a long time ago. Uh, we know that we are in the year 2020, and we know that this happened uh, many, many, many years ago. And we do have a bit of a historical gap between our time period and what happened in Yeshua's time period. But, of course, we can look at this and hopefully, uh, you know, we can examine this issue and talk about how we might look into history. You know, our God is a God of history. I I just see so much, uh, you know, kind of like this thing about we have faith, but we don't really root it in history, and kind of like they're divided sometimes, and there's this, a bit of a dichotomy there, and I, I hopefully today we can get that uh, put away from our thinking, not that anyone here, I'm accusing anyone of doing this here, but I'm saying it does happen in a lot of places, I see this, so that's why we want to talk about this. So... Let's say uh, you're a crime scene investigator, and you get called into a crime scene. Now, of course, this happens with crime scene investigators and detectives. I'm not one, but I know people that are. I have a friend of mine that is one, and very famous one, by the way. 
And you get called into a crime scene and you have the body laying on the ground and you weren't there to see it. You weren't there to see how the person got there. You have no, you didn't see it directly. You just don't know what to do. I mean, you have to put together your list. You pull out your little chart here with your list on a clipboard and began to try to figure out what happened, you know, compile your little list. Well, let's say you have some options here. You know, you're wondering, well, did this guy die of a natural death? Was it an accidental death? Maybe he committed suicide. Maybe it was a homicide. Now, let's say you find the guy like this. Well, hey, that really changes the ball game. Now I've got some more options here, right? I, I can really narrow it down. I mean, I can kind of cross off the list that it wasn't natural death, there wasn't an accidental death, maybe it was a suicide, that'd be awfully hard, but I don't, I don't know how quite that happened, I'm sure it's possible, or, you know, obviously the, 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 the best inference is that maybe some sort of homicide happened here, you know, some sort of murder, but the point is that a crime scene detective was not there to experience that murder, he didn't see it, he didn't, he didn't get to see any witnesses do it, he's just kind of putting together the best list he has of what the best explanation is. You know what he's going to do eventually? He's going to go into the court of law, and they're going to present it to a jury, and they're going to put together what's called a circumstantial case. It's called circumstantial evidence. And, you know, they're going to present it and come up with the best explanation, even if he can't interview, you know, he didn't see any witnesses do it or anything. It happens all the time, right? That's how crime scenes work, right? It's happened in our history. We know that. So it's kind of interesting, you know, when it comes to Yeshua, it, or when it comes to this issue, you know, what they agree on is that they have to explain, they have to come up with the best explanation that covers all the data, and like I said, they want to be thorough, and they want to, you know, present that to a court of law, and they'll see what happens in the end, you know, the jury will, you know, what, what will happen, the result. But this is very similar to uh, our faith in Yeshua, in a way, because you see, none of us are there to see the resurrection. None of us are there to see any of the witnesses. None of us are there to interview any of the witnesses. We can't interview them today. They're all gone. It's all in the past. None of us are there. We're directly, we can't directly observe it. We weren't there. And so just like a crime scene investigation, we have to come up with the best explanation that explains all the data, okay? And that's what we do in history. When we have history, we go in the past, just like anything in history, whether it be in you know, the year 33 AD or 200 years ago or 300 years ago, even 60 years ago, we rely on things such as written documents, we rely on witnesses, we rely on maybe some hostile witnesses, people who didn't believe, you know, what happened, they weren't followers of Yeshua, we look for archaeological evidence, and then in the bottom line there, that very bottom bullet point, sometimes what we do in history is we ask, what, what really explains, you know, this new, this thing that happened in history, like this new Jewish movement that rose up, as Howard's been talking about in the book of Acts, you know, he's been doing a great job with Acts. What, what's the cause behind that? What, what, what got this movement going? And what, what kept it going? You know, what were the factors there? And of course, as Howard's been going through the book of Acts, we know what got the community going was the resurrection, okay? It wasn't just his death, it had to be the resurrection, because we know if it was just based on his death, it probably would have died out like that, because a lot of, a few other guys came along and died very quickly, and Jewish people stopped following them, and it died out. But Yeshua, the Yeshua movement kept going, it's still going to this day. And so that's what historians do, they look for these kinds of things, you know, when they're looking in the past. So, what we want to explain, what we want to look at is, uh, is uh, you, know, what, uh, you know, what about the data? What data do we have? Well, there's not a lot of disagreement that 
Yeshua's disciples at least believed that he rose from the dead. I mean, they were sincere about it. They believed Yeshua appeared to them. And we know, secondly, that they kind of went from being awfully fearful and worried and distraught to being bold witnesses to the resurrection. We see that all throughout the book of Acts. And like I said just a minute ago, number three, we see this new Jewish sect that comes along. You know, there's many, as we say, we don't want to look in the past as like, uh, you have Judaism in the first century, and then Christianity comes along. They're like two religions, right? They don't, they don't really have those categories, and they don't exist. That, those are what we use in our modern-day world religion textbooks in colleges. That's what you probably took a world religions class. But in that time period, they just had different sects of Judaism, right? Different Jewish sects. And here's Yeshua's movement, and Paul, of course, is a leader uh, in the book of Acts and others. So we see this new movement arising. You know, what, what explains this? You know, what's, that's the data we have. And so, we can even look at a guy like this, a guy we had at Ohio State many years ago do a debate for us. Some of us were there. Marcy was there, I know, and we, some others were, here, were there. A guy like uh, Bart uh, Ehrman, who I, actually we had lunch with him. Um, you know, he even, he's an agnostic, and he even agrees, you know, hey, you know, the disciples, you know, they believe certainly that uh, Yeshua appeared to them. They were convinced. There's no doubt about that. And he doesn't even necessarily believe that Yeshua uh, is who he is. But the point is, he agrees that they believe that he definitely appeared to them. And so, what we want to do is look at an early text here, one of the probably the earliest texts we have for Yeshua's resurrection, and that is in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, believe it or not, the, uh, the earliest text we have for Yeshua's resurrection is not the Gospels, it's Paul. Paul is the earliest source we have for the resurrection. Paul's letters are the earliest, okay? And this one right here is one of the earliest. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says here, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Messiah died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one ultimately born, he appeared also to me. And that is what we call a creed. It's, a, it's like a creedal statement. It's like a statement of belief. It was easy to memorize. They could pass it on very early in the uh, Messiah, in, the Yeshua, in Yeshua's community. They could pass it around and, and say, this is what we believe. Now, Paul, uh, Paul's creed actually matches up also with other sources about Yeshua's death, burial, and the uh, appearances in other passages. There's some other ones in Acts and some other ones in the Gospels. But it's very interesting, you know, there is just uh, more than enough uh, documents that really uh, testify to Yeshua's death, burial, and resurrection. So you see some other ones there very similar to what Paul talks about um, some of those other writings. But the question is, if you notice in 1 Corinthians 15, is that Paul says he's delivering this message. It's something that he received, okay? He's saying, I am giving this to you, but I received this, and now I'm passing it on to you, right? If you read that, go back to that right here, you know, back to that other text. It says it right here, I deliver to you what I also received, right? The very first line there, okay? Now, he says here, so he says, I deliver to you what I also received, Okay? Now, when you talk about receive there, when he talks about receive, that actually means to uh, receive from someone else. That means that whatever Paul received here, it was transmitted to him from somebody else. It could be a 
like an oral tradition, you know, in Jewish, the Jewish oral community, they pass things on orally. That's where our faith started, orally. And this is something he's received, okay? And so I know for a fact that during this week, everybody has been talking about where did Paul receive this creed. I know all of you have been thinking about this all week long. You've been saying to yourselves, I don't care about what I'm watching on CNN or Fox right now. I care about where Paul received this creed. Okay, that's what really is the heart of the matter, what's important in our culture right now. So where did Paul get this? He received this message from somewhere. Well, if you look at the New Testament timeline, it's kind of interesting here that uh, if you get to about, um, come on now, fill in the gaps. Here we go. Do, do, do. Okay. All right. That uh, Paul probably, since Paul came to faith between somewhere between 30 and 40, right in there, that's generally where it's dated that he came to faith. We know Yeshua died somewhere between 33, 30 and 33, and he wrote 1 Corinthians around 55 AD. You guys are following the numbers. That Paul probably received that information somewhere back in there at the beginning between 30 and 40 because he wrote 1 Corinthians later, but that means the information he received he got earlier. And so he probably got it somewhere back in that range in there and, you know, very early on. So that means that the death, burial, and resurrection Yeshua is being proclaimed very early, okay, a very early proclamation, okay? Paul could have received it, since he mentions Peter in the creed, there's a decent chance that he got it when he went to Galatia to visit Peter, because if you notice, he goes up here, look what he says here, but when he who had set me apart from before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal a son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained in 15 days, but I saw none other apostle except James, the Lord's brother. Given Paul mentions Peter in that 1 Corinthians text in James, maybe he got it in Galatia and he went to visit Peter. They were spending time together and he might have received that information there. And so we've settled that now where Paul got that creed. Okay. All right, so let's go back here. Now, look at this guy. This guy is not a, exactly the most orthodox guy uh, as far as a believer goes, um, not, one, not one friendly to the faith. But even he says, look, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, that I handed on to you as a first importance, which I in turn received. The most likely source and time for his reception of that tradition would have been Jerusalem in the early 30s when, according to Galatians 1, 18, he went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and stay with him. 15 days. So there, see, he agrees with what I'm saying. So there, it's settled. Okay. Now, all right. So you notice he says here, then he says, from what I received, I pass on to you as first importance, Messiah died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So here he talks about Yeshua's death. Now, Paul says, according to the scriptures. Now, we all know, I think since we're all pretty scripturally literate here, there was no New Testament, when Paul wrote this, there was no brick Shah, right? Um, there was only the Tanakh when he's writing this. So if he's referring to the scriptures, he's referring to the Tanakh, okay? Where in the Tanakh does it say, oh, by the way, I have to go back here. Where does it say Yeshua wrote, uh, died in the Tanakh? We'll talk about that in a second. But one thing I just want to mention is that, um, you know, you have a abundance of sources that say uh, Yeshua is crucified all the way down from first century on through second century, third century, and then you get to see even some Jewish sources later on. And boy, there is just like multiple sources that all agree that Yeshua really died. But uh, actually, there's only one source 
that comes much later that says Yeshua actually wasn't crucified. You know what it is? There you go. Bingo. That's about it, okay? That's the only source in uh, the first five or six centuries that say that Yeshua really wasn't crucified, okay? Still have a disagreement with them about that. But where did Yeshua, where does it say Yeshua died in the Tanakh? Well, Paul doesn't really say, he doesn't list the text he's referring to. Uh, He might be referring to Isaiah 52 to 53. I don't know. I mean, he doesn't say. It's a good chance he is. And maybe he just refers to the, or he's referring to like the entire redemptive plan of the Tanakh. Like the Tanakh talks about the Messiah needing to die. I mean, he could be referring to that. But the point is, he is talking about the Tanakh, that according to the scriptures, the Messiah was supposed to die. And then he says that Yeshua was buried. He says here that he was died for our sins according to scriptures, that he was buried. Okay, the burial of Yeshua. Well, we do know that uh, the gospels say that Yeshua was buried in an honor, in a, in a, or given an honorable burial. We know that uh, uh, Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate and asked for an honorable burial because we know that uh, Jewish burial requires a victim to be buried before you know, the sun goes down. That's the way Jewish burial works, and Pilate grants that to Joseph. But we know that uh, Yeshua was placed in what's called a rock-cut tomb, and that's kind of what it looked like, something like that. A couple scholars sitting out there looking at that, talking about where they're going to eat lunch. But the point is that the point is that this is what a rock-cut tomb would look like. You can see how how much work that would take, and by golly, that's very expensive. Uh, very expensive, but we know that Yeshua came from a very poor family, as far as we know, and he probably cannot afford a rock-cut tomb, but Joseph of Arimathea could afford a rock-cut tomb, so he gives, he puts him in his tomb. He puts Yeshua in his family tomb. That is a rock-cut tomb, okay, and that's where Yeshua was placed. I'm not saying that's where he, that's Yeshua's burial place, but that's what it kind of would have looked like, something like that. Now, does everyone remember uh, Jody Magnus when she came here? That was like good six, seven years ago. The archaeologist, she did a MSI weekend for that. But uh, she had some good things to say. She's an expert on the tombs. Uh, she studies the tombs in, in Israel and does the digs and everything in archaeology. But she says here, when the Gospels tell us that Joseph of Arimathea offered Yeshua a spot in the tomb, is because Yeshua's family did not own a rock-cut tomb and there was no time to prepare a grave that is, there is no time to dig a grave, not who a rock cut to him before the Sabbath. It's not surprising that Joseph, who was described as a wealthy and perhaps even member stand here and had a rock cut family tomb. She actually agrees with the archaeological data that Yeshua was buried in a rock cut tomb. So good for her. But anyway, that just is interesting, you know, that the burial matches the archaeology. Okay. And then it says Yeshua was raised on the third day. Now, it says he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Well, where in the world? Does it say in the Tanakh that Messiah would be raised on the third day according to the scriptures? The answer is nowhere. It doesn't say that anywhere the Messiah specifically would be raised on the third day. But we know the Messiah was raised on the third day. But what Paul is probably doing here is he is looking at uh, texts in the Tanakh and looking how God did something very significant on the third day in Israel's history. You have these passages like, Hosea 6, 1-2, come let us return to the Lord. He's torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. He speaks something about restoration there. And then you have the Genesis 22, 4 text. It was on the third day, Abraham arrived at Mount Moriah and prepared to sacrifice his son Isaac. 
And then you have a couple other texts. You have God told the children of Israel assembled on Mount Sinai to be ready for the third day because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all his people. You have a Genesis text on the third day after Joseph interpreted the dreams of two of his fellow prisoners, both of whose dreams include a symbolic three. One of the men was hung and the other man restored to his former position. So the point is, it seems as something that God does every time on the third day in the Tanakh. And God, or Paul is using that to emphasize God did something very significant on the third day with Yeshua's resurrection, okay? So now we've got that cleared up. I know you guys are worried about that. Let's move on to the appearances. Now he moves on to the appearances. He says that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers, 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then also to the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. So when it comes to the appearances, uh, we have... Uh, many, actually, there's more appearances than the one Paul lists. He just, there's some of the ones he lists in the creed, but you have different uh, various locations, different uh, you know, times when Yeshua appeared to them. And from what we gather, uh, Yeshua you know, definitely, uh, you know, is a, he physically appeared to them. For example, if you look at uh, comparing, uh, if you read the Bible, especially the New Testament, I mean, you will see that uh, it seems that uh, the disciples and the apostles had some very visionary experiences, you know, where they, you know, Paul being carried to the third heaven, some other things. They talk about visions from the Lord. That's not really what they're talking about when they're talking about Yeshua physically appearing to them. The physical rays Yeshua is one that they can interact with and touch and eat and touch his wounds and everything. So it's a physical resurrection, a physical appearance, okay? And that's very important because... Uh, you know, one of the reasons I believe, Yeshua, well, other believe, others believe this too, Yeshua physically rose is because he wanted them to, um, it's relational. You know, he wanted, to see, he, they want, he wanted them to see him again. They were close to him and the disciples. He wanted to appear to them to say, I'm back. You know, I promised I'd come back and here I am. It's not just an apologetic, it's more relational, okay? So that's one of the reasons he appeared physically to them. He wanted to eat fish with them, okay? And that's what he did at the end of John. Okay, and you know Yeshua says here, Luke, uh, look at my hands and my feet, it is my myself, touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Yeshua was not a ghost after he came out of that tomb, he was a physical, raised Yeshua, a transformed body, and he appeared to the disciples, okay? Now, Paul's uh, experience is interesting because when you look at the Damascus Road experience and Paul heard the, uh, the voice, uh, you know, and had that experience and he's around some other people and did not, no one saw anything, uh, it's interesting, you know, that Paul's the only one that is experiencing some sort of physical Yeshua after he rose, some sort of, uh, you know, it's not the same the disciples saw, but something, uh, a post-resurrection encounter. But then he says in 1 Corinthians 9.1, he says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Yeshua our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? Paul has to defend his apostleship, right? Because he has to show he really saw the physical rays Yeshua. And so he's kind of building that up here saying, I saw him too. Look, I'm no different than you. Just like he says in 1 Corinthians 15, he appeared to me. I'm not some sort of apostate. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm legit, Okay. So it's very important to Paul to show that he uh, saw the physical rage Yeshua. All right, and then no doubt the disciples really, really, really believed that uh, Yeshua appeared to them because you know what he says, they say in 1 Corinthians 15, 
It says here, if Messiah has not been raised, we are even found to be false witnesses concerning God because we gave testimony against his Lord, against the Lord. Against, or no, I'm sorry, if Messiah has not been raised, we are even found to be false witnesses concerning God because we gave testimony against God that he raised Messiah whom we did not raise. So you know what he's saying? Paul is saying that if Yeshua is not raised from the dead, then we are wasting our time. We're lying for God. We're lying for ourselves. We're lying to others. We are bearing false witness. And so he's saying that that is a very, very serious issue. So just to be, let it be known that they really, 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 really believe that Yeshua appeared to them and he rose from the dead, okay? Now, some of these, follow, some of these uh, movements, I just want to mention uh, some of these figures here that appear in Josephus' writings. Uh, they all, all these guys kind of led a, we might say like a messianic revolt uh, against Rome. Um, they weren't really called the Messiah. They weren't really you know, referred to as a Messiah, but they all were kind of like a, led a messianic revolt in the way. But uh, they all were killed, squashed, and they're all dead to this day and all their, their followers were scattered. And to this day, uh, as we know, Yeshua has the one movement that has carried on for 2,000 years, right? And just like Howard talked about in the book of Acts with uh, Gamaliel, you know, he says, if this thing's really from God, it'll carry on. None of these did right here. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the applications, uh, why this really matters in a time like this. Well, First of all, um, I don't know if you know who this guy is. He passed away about eight or nine, ten years ago. Uh, he was an atheist, and he actually came to believe that uh, God existed uh, before he died. He didn't become a follower of the Messiah, but he went, in, went from believing in nothing to believing in God. As we know, that's step one. He didn't quite get to step two. But he actually said that if Yeshua really rose from the dead, literally and physically, then he says... This is the best reason for accepting that Yeshua is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You know what that means, really, if you take that to heart, is that if God raised Yeshua from the dead, then God is the God of the, the one true God, and he's the God of history. He's involved in the affairs of mankind, right? And also, what we want to realize is this issue of sacred space. And you may say, where are you going with this? Well, I was teaching a class at MSI, and I did some research on this, and I thought I'd just weave this in here. Have you ever noticed in the Bible certain experiences when, uh, with God and humans, and whether it be Israel individuals, when uh, there's sin or pollution? What God does is he like drives them out every time. Do you notice in Genesis with like Adam and Eve when, the, when that happened, he drives them out of Eden, or like Cain is like driven out in the wilderness, or like Israel is driven out of the land into exile, and then when it comes to like the Canaanites, uh, getting them out of there when they're going to take the land, that God drives them out, right, the idolatry and the pollution. And so what that means is that God is really careful about having sacred space, God wants to dwell somewhere, and when sin and pollution are there, God has to drive that out every single time. And what that means is that when the Messiah comes, he embodies sacred space and meeting for us between us and God. And so now we have permanent sacred space because of Yeshua's resurrection. And so during this time of our lives, right now in the world around us, First of all, we want to ask ourselves, 
have, are we really maybe, uh, are we needing to like receive from God right now? So I learned this lesson about four nights ago. I did, I had a, I did the, uh, the wrong thing. I got on this thing about when chaos was breaking out. I think it was Wednesday night. And I got on this thing about 10.30 at night. And then I started reading article after article after article about the, uh, the virus. By about 11.45, I was exhausted. And number two, I was really anxious. And number three, I was just ready to go to bed. But I couldn't go to bed because I was so anxious. So it's funny how by about the sixth article I read, as the anxiety was building, it's almost like the Ruach just suddenly just, uh, I don't know, came to me and just was like, uh, this is out of your hands. Like, this, you need to just pray through this. Just pray through it. Stop being anxious. Pray through this. Pray through it. I'm with you. I'm here. I'm present with you. And I thought to myself, boy, did gee, that's like a basic reminder. I should have known that. But the point is that, you know, for some of us during this time, you know, of course we need to be receiving from God. We need to be meditating on God and his presence in our lives, right? There's nothing wrong with that. God loves to come to us. He has no problem in, uh, you know, in comforting us and strengthening us and encouraging us, right? Like he did today or he has been doing during service. Second thing is that... Um, when it comes to this passage, you know, this has great relevance because Yeshua says here that eternal life is to know the one true God and to know Messiah whom you've sent. Now, eternal life, as I think we've talked about here enough, we hopefully know by now, it's not like when you just die. You know, it's not like I die and go to heaven, that's eternal life. Your eternal life started when you came to believe in Messiah. When he entered into your life, and you received him into your life, your quality of life changed, right? You began to know God now, you began to know Messiah because of your union with the Messiah. So the bottom line is, if Yeshua didn't rise from the dead, there's no eternal life. We know that. And you have a whole lot of people around you right now that have no eternal life, and they got nowhere to turn, okay? And they are awfully anxious, okay? So what a golden opportunity for us to ask them a question. Do you really have eternal life? It starts now. You can have a quality of life in this life and know God now and have comfort and peace, right? So let us uh, take advantage of that, you know, and really come to people. I, I thought the other day, I was at Kroger the other day. There's nothing left there. Um, you know, I, I, I might as well just like set up a sign there. I felt like I wanted to put a sign like right in front and said, do you have shalom? And just like put it right there and just stand there and talk to people. I just, I, I wish I could have done that. I was in a rush. But you almost feel like these people are haphazardly running and out of these stores like, oh, I just want to just want to talk to them and tell them they can have this. You know, they just don't have it. Okay. So let's remember that what we have and what we can share with others. And then also, of course, the issue of fear. Will we have faith or will we have fear? Faith, of course, uh, you can't divorce that word from faithfulness reliability, fidelity, and commitment. Will we trust God in this situation, or will we just go like the culture and be fearful? Now, like Jeff said, we want to have common sense, obviously. We don't want to just like not have our you know, heads in the sand, not know what's going on. But there's no doubt that uh, I, for one, have really, really learned a lot by looking at humans this week. I, w- I wish I'd been a psychology major. I kind of I kind of human behavior this week has really shown us something, but the fear is just off the charts. And I think that if we fall into the trap of being like the culture, we really aren't any different, right? And so what do we believe? Do we believe the same God who 
took Israel out of Egypt and delivered them, the same God who interacted with Israel all throughout the Tanakh, and then raised Yeshua from the dead as the God that's involved in this situation? Does he know what's going on? Or was it, well, God, there's a virus. I didn't know that. God didn't know that was coming. You know, I had no idea. And he's just taken off guard. Or do we believe that God is totally working in this situation? Of course, what we want to be praying, of course, is whatever happens is that people come to know the Lord. This is one of the best times ever to be praying that people come to faith because, you know, the two things people cling to in our culture is certainty and security. And right now it's being challenged, right? And when people don't, can't cling to those two things, you see what's happening. And so perhaps we should be interceding more and more and more that people will fall to their knees and say, God, you're all I've got. It's being stripped my security, my certainty that I just cling to like this and it's going away and I can't hold on to that. And so let's be praying that people come to know the Lord through this situation. So as we move forward, I hope and pray that as a community and all of us, you know, remember what God has done through the resurrection because if Yeshua rose from the dead, we know what's happening with us and we know what's going to happen in the future. But if we don't believe that, maybe we say we believe, we really don't, then we're going to walk in fear, right? Now, I know on paper, we could watch something like this and go back through all these slides that, yeah, it looks like, yeah, it looks like it's evidentially true. It looks like historically it happened, but, you know, I'm not really too sure. Well, I'm just saying that we can have confidence, okay, that God raised Yeshua from the dead and that we can trust him at this time. So let's try to appropriate this as the days go by and let's walk in faith and not fear. So let us just uh, thank the Lord that we have the opportunity to be here today, and let's go forward. Lord, we just uh, want to thank you so much for the fact that you are the one that raised Yeshua from the dead. You are the one who is in control of history. You are the one that helps us to have faith. You are the one who, uh, you know, is working in people's lives. And we just pray, God, that we would be prepared with a reason for the hope that is within us. 1 Peter 3.15, the hope that is in us, that with gentleness and reverence, and be prepared to present the hope that is within us, within us to others. And I pray, Lord God, that we be encouraged that you are the one who raised the dead, who raises the dead, and you're the one who has controlled this situation. And we pray we'd walk by faith and not by fear. And we pray this all in Yeshua's name. Amen.